0: long
1: government the government the government the the government Welcome to the Politics, Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baronowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area
0: attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? Mike, I I can uh, honestly say I'm feeling better today than uh, at any time since the U.S. Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. But um,
1: <laughs> all right, well that well that's good. I have you in have you in fine federal. I'll have to uh, I'll have to get get my is it is it gird my loins? What do you do with your loins? I don't know. Maybe, I think that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, gird. Sure. I will I will gird them up anyway. So you know. Uh, there was one story I thought we could start with. Before, actually, before we get started with our story, we want to thank our... Newest supporter the, on Patreon, Daniel. So thank you, Daniel, very much for supporting the show. And of course, as most of you know, when you're a Patreon supporter, you get that second full-length episode every week. You get ad-free versions of all our shows. Other things at different levels of support. And if you want to become a supporter, just go to Patreon.com/slash Politics Guys. And if you would like to get that bonus show, but you're not in a position where you can financially support the podcast right now, totally not a problem. Just send me an email, Mike at PoliticsGuys.com, and I will get you all set up. And also, we have, as I mentioned uh, for a while now, joined the 21st Century, and you can now support us through Venmo. We're at Politics Guys. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, DACA being ruled uh, uh, illegal and uh, ramifications of that, the Senate Democrats' $3.5 trillion budget agreement, uh, inflation concerns, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's bill to decriminalize marijuana. Senator Kristen, sorry, Kristen Gillibrand's proposal to change how the military prosecutes serious crimes, vaccine hostility on the right, and Justice Breyer's not quite yet retirement. That's an awful lot. And so whatever we don't get to on this show, we will move over into our midweek supporters bonus show. But before we get started, we'll just take a quick break and be right back. Okay, Jay, so our our I thought we could lead off this morning with a story that actually broke pretty late on Friday, and I know uh, I haven't had a chance to really dig into it, but I thought we should probably talk at least a little bit about it since it's been a recurring story for, well, since really the beginning of the podcast, and that's the DACA. Uh, on Friday, yeah. yeah, on Friday, U.S. District Judge Andrew Hannon, a George W. Bush appointee, declared DACA illegal. He barred the government from approving any new applications for the program, but left it intact for existing recipients. And there are around 650,000 or so of those. And as listeners will, I'm sure, recall, former President Barack Obama started DACA in, back in 2012. The Trump administration then announced it was ending the program in 2017. But it uh, didn't do it in the right way, according to the Supreme Court. And they ruled in 2020 that they hadn't ended it properly. And so it kept it alive. But as Jay, you know, Jay, uh, I know neither of us has had a chance to read the, uh, the actual opinion. But for years now, you and well, I, I actually I've had a chance. What, I just
0: which other things
1: going <laughs> there you go no. but but I know that that you and I have been kind of of one mind at least on the legality of Doc. and from the beginning uh you know I've said that hey I think this is a great program if it were passed by Congress but it seems to me pretty clear that it's outside the president's uh, legitimate powers to to do that sort of thing
0: and and uh you'd be exactly right and uh so is uh judge Hannon, who's uh, apparently has been listening to the show for years you know um But um, uh, I I, I think I think he gets it right. Um, It's interesting. Also, you know, again, sort of put in a a grandfather clause, so to speak, for folks who have been here and there's no retroactive um, um, effect. He didn't grant the injunction, um, but clearly said that this is this is unconstitutional. And that's that's in line with uh, the the Fourth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. some years ago, um, had indicated the same thing. And then Trump, uh, put in the, um, his order to repeal it. Uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is all sort of water under the bridge at this point, but, uh, you know, the idea that something being unconstitutional isn't a good enough reason to repeal it, um, uh, you know, sort of still strikes me as odd, but, um, no, I, I think this is, you're exactly right. And the judge is exactly right on this.
1: And do you think that this is going to make it uh, easier to to pass some sort of legislation like like the Dream Act or something you know something like that. I mean, President Biden has said that he wants a path to citizenship for you know 11 million plus people in this country illegally. I don't see anything that big happening, but there has been some talk, for instance, about immigration being part of the uh, budget reconciliation bill, which we'll we'll talk about uh, later. I'm I'm skeptical as to whether that actually meets the the bird rule uh, requirement. Requirements to be part of that, but but that aside, uh, do you think that this makes make some sort of immigration reform uh, more likely than it was, say, before Friday?
0: Not in the least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, long term, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but consider this is a district court. Uh, the government's going to appeal it, uh, obviously. Uh, So then you're going to go to a a, uh, circuit court of appeals and that process is going to take probably about a year or so. Um, uh, And then uh, whoever loses that will seek cert from the from the uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, who may or may not pick it up. Um, And in the meantime, there may be other uh, district courts that that rule on this. So I think it's look, I I think if you're talking about eventually, um, does this force the issue? Uh, maybe, but is it is it going to affect any immediate changes? No.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a pretty solid analysis of it. Certainly. So we we uh we certainly will be coming back to this as it moves its way through the court system. But for now, I thought we could maybe move on to what we thought would be our original top story, and that is uh, uh the big budget announcement. Democrats on the Senate Budget Committee agreed this week on a three point five trillion dollar. Budget framework, which is considerably less than some progressives were hoping for. But it looks right now like the Senate's sort of left flank is on board with the plan. I mean, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders who's the chair of the Budget Committee, called it a pivotal moment in American history. Though that said, it's still, I think, unclear to me, at least, whether... That's not hyperbole. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, still, I, I actually like agree with say. Bernie on that, but it's, it's pretty, I think it's unclear as to whether all 50 Senate Democrats are going to support that. Uh, you know, a lot of the focus is on, of course, the two, the two moderates we talk about all the time, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, you know, because in response to this announcement, Manchin was pretty noncommittal, I think. He said, we need to pay for it. I don't think we need more debt. Uh, So it wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement. And right now, we're just at that framework stage. But What we do know is about some of the broader policy goals. For instance, uh, it's supposed to include funding for President Biden's plan for two years of free community college, expanding Medicare to include vision, dental and hearing coverage, expanding Medicaid, paid family medical leave, lowering prescription drug costs, investing in programs to combat climate change, expanding support for families with children. And there's even talk, as I mentioned, for changes in the immigration process, though, uh, again, I think that might run afoul of the. The bird rule, which says that only or that non-budgetary provisions can't be considered under reconciliation rules. And that that seems to me to maybe fall within that. But
0: and, what, and again, for for folks who haven't fallen along, this is something that the Senate would have to do by reconciliation because they would not have the uh, votes to to do it uh, by a simple majority otherwise. Yeah.
1: So and, and uh No question this will be done through reconciliation. And the other part I should mention is paying for it all. Uh, Again, this is pretty vague at this point, but the the plan right now, it seems to be that Democrats want to kind of unwind some of the Republican tax cuts that were passed in 2017 raise taxes on overseas profits of U.S. corporations, revise a whole bunch of tax credits given to largely fossil fuel energy companies, raise taxes on inheritances and capital gains and increasing funding to the IRS for more enforcement. And this, you know, this, this 3.5 trillion, this comes in addition, of course, to the infrastructure bill, which is expected to total somewhere around 1.2 trillion. And, uh, there's still some hope, I guess, among some folks that uh, that, that, in, that infrastructure bill will win the votes of at least 10 Senate Republicans. But here, as you and I, you know, you just mentioned, there's no real expectation this is going to get any Republican support. So it's going to need all 50 Democrats to sign on, then the vice president's tiebreaker to, to pass. So w- what do you think about this budget proposal, at least, you know, kind of what we know about it at this point, Jay?
0: Well, I I, I... To me it looks like it's you know again um uh Sanders says sort of pivotal moment in american history it's really sort of the same it's kind of what you you'd expect and then sort of the same thing that the democrats have been proposing perennially right it, to me it, it's sort of nothing there's nothing new it's just sort of spend spend a lot more money on on stuff they we already spend a lot of money on um and and you know that's that's sort of the, the playbook and i i get it um so, uh, yeah, is is it three point five trillion? Is uh, a huge number. Uh, I think there are issues about how you pay for it. Um, you know, Mike. In the past, I always sort of branded myself as a, a fiscal hawk, um, and I, I may be sort of one of the the, the last one uh-huh. of those. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's just sort of gone gone by the wayside, particularly after the pandemic. Um, and and there there reaches this sort of weird you know, you see this in, in, uh, people or companies that, uh, are approaching bankruptcy, uh, right. That, um, well, look, we're already broke. Uh, you know, what's an extra, what's an extra 3 trillion, um, uh, might as well go out with a bang. Um, so I, there's, there's some sort of thought I think there, uh, my, my sense is it gets pared down eventually, um, as these, as these, these things do, um, but it's still going to be a huge, huge amount. And I think that the other piece of this is when we start talking about how you actually fund it, it's it's the spending is always easy, easier to propose than the paying for it is. Um, and when you're talking about things like um, uh, corporate taxes, corporate taxes on on um, over companies overseas and so forth, um, you start getting into these these areas where you may have one uh, diminishing returns. Uh, and second, um, uh, you may have unintended consequences. Yeah. I mean one of the, the the big things that you and I agreed on 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 the tax cuts uh, trump uh, tax cuts was that uh, it provided an incentive or a disincentive uh, for companies to move overseas to avoid taxes right um, and and this this might seem to go against that and and restart that uh, 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 that exodus um the parallel you know piece that, that they sort of is the, the backstop on this of course is is the, the treasury's push to get a a global you know sort of agreement on on taxation um which which you know other people would call call a cartel but yeah um you know and and that would sort of hedge our bets right i mean you would say well look ireland can't go below this um but still even even with what um uh, Yellen has proposed and what what seems to be uh the likely uh drift of of that and assuming everybody abides by it, there would still be a significant um difference um between u s tax corporate taxes and overseas so I think it's not unreasonable that that if you know they make the big push for for corporate taxes uh you see some corporations okay well we'll go to wherever um
1: yeah, and you, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're right. I think, and you have to kind of weigh the possibility of that against the the revenue you generate from that from the companies that don't do that. Because in many instances, obviously, it's you know, if you're just making widgets, well, you can do that pretty much anywhere. But there's something to be said for being in certain areas with uh, with uh, a core of of talent and people around you, and that's still not something we can really replicate with with Zoom or or, or technology at this point. So it it can be you know difficult to just move basically
0: but you could but you can still move your corporate offices to, to dublin sure i see what you're saying right right, right. i mean the, the inversion sort of stuff so yeah, yeah so yeah you your your company is still being to some extent taxed on on what it does um in in the country but but it's it's corporate profits if they're realized off sea out, out of uh in another country those profits don't get taxed uh and less than until they're they're brought back into the u.s yeah um Though I think, so, you know, I, I got to say that uh, even even
1: some some pretty centrist uh, economists and even some right leaning economists like uh, 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 Douglas Holtz Eakin, they, they calculate that Biden's that all these proposed tax hikes will shave off maybe around 0.2 percent of GDP over time. And the, the AEI, American Enterprise Institute, which are no, you know, socialist crazy group, right? Right. They say it's going to be probably even less than that. And so, you know, I think you need to take a look, obviously, at the long-term effects on economic growth, but weigh that against things like, actually, I mean, you mentioned that there's not a whole lot new. I would say, well, a lot of it's expanding, but something like including dental and vision and hearing care in Medicaid, which is crazy to me that it's not part of that in the first place, that is something I think that's, pretty different, at least in the U.S. context, certainly not internationally, where, you know, as as listeners, I'm sure know, the U.S. is the only rich country to not offer some form of universal health care. But this is at least a step in that
0: direction. Yeah. But to me, I think the the price tag on on that is that's that's not where your three point five trillion is coming in. Right. And I I don't I mean, as as much as I'm uh, not crazy about expanding welfare state entitlements and so forth, um adding dental and vision and stuff to 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 medicare eh, i mean it, it's increased government spending but it's not of the magnitude that, that changes things and i get you're saying well it's it's coverage of a different kind that hasn't been sure. offered before i look at it it's just well we're adding we're adding a couple more benefits to to what you already had um uh and that's that's probably not where the the big piece piece comes um
1: i mean but, i mean it's definitely yeah it's definitely big, and its it's interesting to me, i'm sure to you too how Comfortable we've gotten talking about trillions of dollars since the since the pandemic, which is definitely uh, definitely a change. There was a a story about a, like President Obama back in uh, well, sometime during his presidency, asking uh, asking some advisors what what he should propose for an infrastructure bill and saying something like, "and don't tell me don't tell me to spend a trillion dollars because that's not possible." Well, all of a sudden yeah. we're in a new reality here. But you know, I, I want to say that while I think that in the end this is to get. Like mansion and maybe cinema on board, it's going to have to be mostly paid for. That deficit spending can't be a big part of it. I think it's also important to keep in mind that you know it, it, this is the time to do deficit spending. When you take a look at interest rates, you know below two percent. I, in fact, the Biden some of the budget. Bi- biden budget proposals actually argue that net interest payments over time may actually end up being negative after you factor in inflation and and so you know if you're we're gonna lose mo-
0: we're losing money if we don't do it you
1: know practically so so this is this is a good time when you look at his, the historical charts about interest rates and inflation this sure does seem to be a good time to do that and of course it's not like we're throwing money down a hole that you might you might differ from me in some of these programs, but a lot of these things actually are things that could help to certainly increase security and economic
0: growth, and do some pretty good things. That's kind of like the argument I make to my wife when I want to buy, like you know, new like boating equipment or something. You know, come on, a eh? you know, we're, we're we're losing money if we don't uh, jump at, at this deal now. Um, uh, uh, no, I I I think you're you're right on all those things. Um, uh, I I wish I I'm disappointed in myself that I I can't muster at least not on a rainy Saturday morning uh, a, a a more um, uh, emphatic uh, a cry against this kind of government spending because that used to be my thing but I think there is just sort of on on the right uh, sort of an exception or, or acceptance or exhaustion yeah uh, on the spending front and and realizing look this we're not gonna we're not gonna win this battle this time right I think. Um, it's going to be a big number, uh, you can trim it down some, and I think that's what will happen, but it's, you know, you're not going to get a, a skinny, uh, government budget from this administration and a 50, 50 Senate
1: yeah I, I I totally agree with that so it 's going to be a big package, but I also agree with you that it 's not going to end up being three point three point five trillion but certainly bigger than anyone on the uh, on the conservative side in the Senate would be comfortable with but But you know I think it 's important to try to put this into some larger context, and oftentimes when I think about government spending, I try to think not just in terms of what we in the United States have done in the past, but I like to look at kind of overall trends for the rich countries in the world. And I tend to look at I'm a, you know, me, I'm kind of a data nerd, the, the OECD database, because that's pretty much the, the 38 richest countries in the world. And when you look at compare us spending, you know, in, in the context of OECD, where we rank 31st out of 38 in terms of spending as a percentage of GDP. So it's not like we're, you know, crazed throwing around money. And now it, this is going to move us up maybe a little bit, but, uh, but, you know, based on these kind of international standards with sort of comparable countries, we still spend an awful lot less uh, and do an awful lot less for our people than, say, the European model. And and you would say that's a good thing, certainly.
0: Yeah. 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 And I would say that's which is, that's a which is why problem. I think yeah. so many, you know, European countries have had uh, big unemployment issues and uh, economic stagnation and so forth, uh, you know, uh, over the past decade or so. But yeah. That's that's sort of another another story. But yeah.
1: and, you know, from the moving to the kind of politics side of things, it seems to me that this is a time to act because Democrats really have a pretty narrow window. I mean, there's a I would say there's a pretty good chance that Republicans are going to win one or both chambers in 2022, at which point that. You know, this goes out the window, basically. And not only that, but I think what a lot of folks don't recognize is uh, with that 50-50 split uh, right now, for instance, there are six Democratic senators over the age of 70 who represent states where there's a Republican governor who would appoint their replacement if they die in office. And, you know, that's a, That 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 happened, certainly. Right. And there's only
0: one. That's why, let's, let's fund those Medicare benefits. Yeah. <laughs> <man.
1: Let's- laughs> But, but, you know, on the Republican side, that's only the case for one senator, and that's Mitch McConnell, who is uh, uh, through some bizarre uh, uh, twerk of fate, actually just having a really unpopular Republican incumbent running for reelection in Kentucky. Now there's a Democrat in as governor of Kentucky, at least for a short period of time. But, um, you know, also, I guess I think I think this will happen and I think you think this will happen. What about the sort of accompanying. Uh, infrastructure bill do you still think that there's a possibility of this of that actually being bipartisan of that actually not getting enough republican votes to uh, avoid a filibuster because mcconnell has not been as anti uh infrastructure bill at least than maybe he has been for some other things and i wanted to get your take on that
0: so i i think one um Biden completely blew it on the the infrastructure bill um and for a couple a couple of different ways I mean one that so much of it is not really infrastructure in the the traditional or actual uh term, you know understanding of what that word means um uh, meaning roads bridges uh you know electric grids that kind of thing and more of this human infrastructure which is stuff that would be more properly put into the the budget bill that we just talked about um and Republicans are typically more apt to support infrastructure because the idea is you are investing in something uh, solid, uh, something worthwhile. It is investment in your future. You're building the road. And, As opposed um, to people. Uh, <laughs> Don't invest in them. <laughs> well, no. Well, no, it's it's a matter of of capital expenses versus operating expenses. Uh, right. And, and on the one hand, uh, it, it often makes sense to spend more on some capital expenses. Um, than it does to have continually high and and accelerating increasing operating expenses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. I mean, does that. Yeah. I
1: mean, I I think the way
0: most people on the left, I hope our listeners get that right. I mean, if it's a matter of, um, uh, look, if I, if I build a bridge uh, that bridge will be there in, in 30 years or so and will continue to serve people for all that time. Uh, If I just increase the, the layout of how much the government's paying, uh on the uh, you know earned income tax credit for example um what am i getting for that well you're maybe you want to say okay i'm getting some sort of uh stimulus value uh i'm getting i'm, I'm helping some people in the short term Uh, but, uh, you know, long-term I'm just, I'm just building an entitlement that I'll keep having to pay for.
1: Yeah. See, and on the left, we tend to view this as actually investing in human capital and these are important ongoing investments, just like regular bridge maintenance is important. And so that's, that's kind of the the old, it's the
0: old, uh, you know, teach a man to fish kind of thing, right? Um, infrastructure is more the, we're providing fishing poles. Um, uh, as opposed to uh, operating expenses is more just we just keep handing out fish.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm saying on the left, well, we, we, we wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but we would actually argue that doing things like making sure that people's insurance isn't tied to their health insurance isn't tied to their job and that they have some sort of a safety net beneath them and have educational opportunities and childcare and so forth actually is giving them the opportunity to go out into the, job, into the workforce and to take risks and be entrepreneurs and do that sort of stuff that grows the economy. So So we don't see that as we don't see that as handouts. We see that as just some sort of a a basic support structure that allows people to do the sort of things that we would we would hope that uh, uh, I think most Americans would do in the workforce.
0: Oh, okay. Well,
1: all right. Um, Okay. you know, before we we move on and talk about actually. Wait, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah, please do.
0: And and that is, look, the, the other piece of this is and And I so often I think people just don't understand the republican mentality um and and I think this is important for for a story we'll probably talk about later uh and I've often said there's there's often the lament of uh, can no one here play this game um, and and that was sort of the feeling uh everyone got when okay, we negotiated a an infrastructure deal with uh with the president uh and then immediately thereafter he says yep, this is a great bill and I'll sign this if you also agree to all these other things um and, and look republicans got got hosed on that and and they know it and the republican voters get particularly frustrated uh when they see uh the people they elect just kind of go along with stuff and then get uh get rolled um and yeah, that's yeah, what I, was was yeah, happening and I, I and I think what you know, McConnell realized and they pushed back and then Biden realized he'd he'd kind of goofed up on that. Um, That's that that's that's an issue. And that's that's why bipartisanship is tough.
1: Yeah, I I agree that that Biden messed up on that particular thing. But this idea that I know you you fervently believe it that republicans are regularly outfoxed by these crafty democrats i just i just totally don't see that happening at all if, uh, M- mcconnell certainly is not somebody who gets ruled and and so i i never really bought that idea but i know that that you take it almost as an article of faith um but you know, one thing well, i well, want McConnell,
0: mcconnell less so mcconnell is is probably the best at not getting ruled i i i would say that but um uh, nevertheless, I'm I'm just saying this is this is a wide perception uh, in the Republican electorate.
1: Yeah, I, well, I would say that Trump certainly, you know, under President Trump, the, the White House clearly didn't know how to play the game. But because you know, it seems like they, every time he turned around, yeah. they were running to file of the Administrative Procedures Act or something. But but I think generally speaking, they play the game just as well as Democrats do. But uh, you know, one thing though that I did want to mention as well uh, is that it, it it seems to me that the what president Biden and Democrats are thinking is that uh, if they get this passed and they will in some form is that voters will reward them for making their lives better. I think that's sort of the political calculation. And while I do think that a lot of this stuff is going to make the lives of many voters better, I don't necessarily think that that they're going to be rewarded for it. I think polarization is so great that if you're a, you know, if you're a Trump voter or you're, you're a pretty solid Republican, just because, Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress passed something on a party line vote that helps you out. I'm pretty sure you're not going to see that as uh, or not going to connect those dots. And there's going to be a strong right-wing media presence going to make sure that you don't connect those dots. And so I don't really see the political gains being nearly as big as a lot of folks on the left think they will be. And I wanted to get your take on that.
0: So, you know, the past, I mean, I'm thinking the past eight, 10 years, uh, the, the Democratic mantra and the, the, this talking point that has worked best for them has been uh, if you elect Republicans, they're going to get rid of your health healthcare. It uh, will actually prohibit you from, from seeing a doctor. Um, you know, if, if uh, Brett Kavanaugh is uh, confirmed, uh, you will lose your health care. If Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, you will lose your health care. That's sort of been the, the, the talking point. And now that'll, that'll be what they run on again is they'll say, listen, we provide, provided right, extra vision benefits. If they're up to Republicans, uh, you know, they would they would uh, require you to be blinded. Um, so I, I think that's but I think that that argument is tougher to make. Um, right. Uh, as as, as the, the longer this this goes on, is the longer that Obamacare has been in effect and not been repealed. And and, and again, the, the bizarre piece of this that strikes me is, is uh, uh, Obamacare has been the law since. What twenty mm-hmm. um, uh, ten? It took
1: a little while. I mean, it took a few years for it to actually be implemented. Yeah, but still it becomes Still a while. Yeah,
0: it yeah. It's kind of part of the plan. But um, yeah, so it, it's it's been effective since twenty ten, and since twenty ten, um, Democrats have consistently uh, uh, bemoaned the state of American healthcare <laughs> and said, "This is this is terrible. This is you know." I and I guess that's that's sort of uh, at some point. Republican voters cut Republican voters onto it for a while, uh, but I'm not sure that all Democratic voters are going to say, listen, um, you know, we, we keep being promised that, the, you know, the, the big health care uh, uh, promised land is, is just around the corner. And, and we'll hear we had what we, you know, what we we wanted and we're still complaining. I, I think that's I don't know. I, th- I think there's there's sort of a Republican talking point in there somewhere of, look, the government can't fix this problem. so.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh no, the whole, whole other issue. I, I obviously I completely disagree with the government not being able to fix that particular problem. But that that could be a whole other whole other episode. Anyway, um, I'm sure again we will come back to this definitely many times before the budget is actually approved and the infrastructure plan. But it's time to move on to our next story. But before we do that, we will take a quick break. All right, Jay. So, you know, one major concern that many conservatives, well, maybe fewer and fewer conservatives these days, but still I would say some have about all of this federal spending we've been spending the last few minutes talking about uh, is that it is the threat of runaway inflation and This week, testifying before the House Financial Services Committee, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that inflation has increased notably and that the Fed expected it to remain high in coming months. And that jump in the consumer price index from this time last year, 5.4%, that's well above that sort of 2% level that the Fed typically targets. And it's actually a higher inflation rate than many economists had expected. Now, Powell said that he believed things would begin calming in around six months or so and that most of the increased inflation is coming in a small number of areas that that are tied to the reopening of the economy. So, Jay, I was wondering what you thought. I mean, is, is the Fed being too cavalier about the threat of inflation? Is it time for them to maybe consider cutting back, for instance, on that $120 billion every month that they're spending in bond purchases, or even maybe even reconsidering not raising interest rates until 2023, as they previously announced?
0: Yeah, I think it's pastime, um, but uh, you know, there's there's this odd sort of <laughs> we're talking about. Wow, Jerome Powell testified uh, before the, uh, the the House Financial Services Committee. Um, you you don't need a weatherman to tell which way the wind blows, right? I mean, people are are seeing these these prices increase at the grocery store, at the gas pump, uh, all all over the place, and and if you say. Well, look, it's only in this sector or that sector. Well, all right, fair enough, but you still gotta pay it, right? Um and so much of our the way our CPI was was derived uh is is really a little bit um based on these sort of sort of funny things where we, we factor out energy and food, um, which are, are two of the, the biggest things we have to pay for um out of it uh, on the basis of well these things can fluctuate and there's trouble in the middle east so that bumps up uh, uh energy prices and well food prices can fluctuate cuz well we had a you know whatever bad weather year uh for for you know the midwest or something um I, I i think um it's it's past time that the the fed uh should do something uh and and the way you know in, inflation works it's it's not a um it's not like a dial. You just turn it up and turn it down. Um, You know, for example, back in the, the uh, late seventies, early eighties it took uh, years to ring the inflation out of the system uh, with high interest rates that, that also, you know, really uh, hamstring the economy. Um, So I, I, that's, that's my, my concern is that we're already a little bit too late and well, they'll, they'll raise interest rates and, and eventually, you know, the inflation will get wrung out of the economy, but um, it's it's you know may take a, a tough couple of years. So.
1: so you know, it seems to me that that would that would be a reasonable analysis if you assume that uh, uh, that Jerome Powell is wrong about this just being a temporary blip due to reopening. And so, I, I would guess from, from what you're saying that you disagree that this is just sort of a temporary blip that in six months is going to is going to uh, uh, kind of reset. But so let me turn this around then. So if if Powell is right about this, then would you agree that it makes sense to not make any big changes if this is just a blip?
0: Yeah, I look in, in terms of of the Fed and and I'm not a, a professional economist and I can say certainly Jerome Powell knows more about economics than than I've ever uh, I could ever learn or, 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 you know, in a lifetime. Um that said, he's also a policy guy. And I, I, I think sometimes no matter how much smarts you have in a um, particular field, uh, you're still driven by your ideology and, and your, your policy interest. And uh, so, I, I look, in terms of the, the Fed, generally, you know, no, any sudden move is a bad move. Right. I mean, that's not what you want to do if you want to say, hey, well, we'll just make interest rates five percent. Well, that would fix the inflation problem. Um, uh, it would also, uh, you know, turn us into a, a pretty sharp recession. Uh, so the, the key is is always uh, doing stuff gradually and, and even um, and anticipatorily. Right. Uh, you, you'd make a little adjustment now because you think inflation might be rising um, six months from now. Uh, to try to head it off or or meet it, um, because like I said, there's that there's that lag. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you I, know, I, I, you think- know, I, I don't want to, you know, this thing of you know, well, hey, Jerome Powell's chair of the Fred, and and um, uh, Jay's this guy on a, a Saturday morning podcast, um, but I, I I just think he's he's wrong as, as a matter of, of, of policy, and there are people who are willing to accept the greater risk of of inflation, and conservatives are for a lot of reasons uh, much more uh, tend to be in inflation hawks than the Democrats do. I, they, um, but,
1: you know, I think it's important, Jay, to point out that it's not like the Fed is some wild, radical left wing group. Jay Powell was appointed by Donald Trump. And in fact, yeah. of the current, I believe uh, there are one, two, three, four, I'm counting right now, six current members on the board of governors and five of them were appointed by were appointed by Republicans. So it's not like this is, you know, some wild liberal scheme or anything like like that i think it's important to you know keep that in mind
0: but 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 i, I think there's more um and maybe more what i was getting at was um uh, i'm trying to think of, uh, you know it's sort of when a when when a uh a hammer is the only tool you have uh you know every problem's a nail sure. kind of thing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and i think look there are 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 the, the fed by its nature believes in hey, we can fix everything with monetary policy yeah i don 't agree or, with that or that that is the or that that is the most important uh, tool in the toolbox i, I don 't uh, agree
1: with that I think that I think that maybe more left leaning members uh, in the past on the Fed might have felt that, but I think if you ask anyone on the board of governors, they would say that that actually fiscal policy is really a much bigger driver and a much much better tool, and that monetary policy is a very blunt Instrument. So I would I would disagree with that. I would also say that it seems to me one element of this that Powell mentioned that I think is important to consider is, you know, on the one hand, the Fed has to consider inflation concerns, which may be transient, as Powell seems to think, uh, with concerns about the state of unemployment and the job market, which is doing better. But there are still around like 6.8 million fewer jobs than in February 2020 when those pandemic layoffs began. And there's the concern, we'll talk about this maybe not on this show, but on the, the mid week show with the uh, the rise of the delta variant and big pockets of unvaccinated people and so forth so i mean it seems to me that the conservative thing actually the truly conservative thing to do right now is to not make any change to kind of hold the course steady especially given that you know the fed doesn't know what's going to happen with with fiscal policy given what's going on in congress and so not to not to yeah, change the yeah, other variable just, in the we mix we just
0: said look we know what's going to happen with fiscal policy <laughs> we may not know the exact number right Uh, But we know it's going to be uh, certainly north of of two and a half trillion, probably close to three trillion. Um, And we know what what fiscal policy has been uh, over the past year. Um, So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Again, don't don't need a weatherman to tell which way the wind blows.
1: Well, I guess so. At, at what point would you say that one of us would have to well, should be able to come back and say, I told you so or I was wrong? How long if if in six months inflation is back down to around two percent or so, then uh, is it OK if I if I remind you of this? And we, oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes.
0: And and it won't be.
1: OK. Yeah, oh, we, we, I'm, we will I'm willing to take that bet. Yeah. I, I'm willing to I'm willing to bet on the side of the 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 Federal Reserve
0: Board of Governors, but we will. We're doing sort of an an over, over, under on on inflation. I I think so. Um, Okay. So annually adjusted six months from now where we are. Okay. Okay.
1: Sounds good. We we will revisit that. But in the meantime, why don't we move on to our next story? Uh, This week, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer introduced the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. The bill would decriminalize marijuana at the federal level remove it from the Controlled Substances Act and begin regulating and taxing it It would also expunge nonviolent marijuana-related arrests and convictions at the federal level Entitled those who are currently in prison on federal nonviolent marijuana related charges for a hearing to reconsider their sentences, allow marijuana businesses in states where they're legal access to the banking system, as well as the ability to write off business related expenses on their federal taxes, and as well as earmarking marijuana tax revenue for restorative justice programs in communities that are most affected by what the bill calls the failed federal prohibition of cannabis. So Jay what do you think is it about time for something like this or do you see it as kind of too much too soon
0: I think it's it's uh, too much too soon um, I'll, I'll maybe maybe just too much right uh, in terms of of things like the allowing for banks and so forth to deal with this I think that's that makes sense based on where state laws are uh, based on legalization um, and and uh, of, of other uh, CBD and, and marijuana, uh, light, you know, substances. I, 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 I don't have a big issue with that. Um, the, uh, the, the, the review of all the uh, uh, new hearings for, um, um, for everyone in, in federal prison, I, I think that's, that's a little, uh, 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 that's the extreme. Overkill. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and because here's the thing. I mean, if if you're in, you, you don't go to federal prison uh, for smoking a joint, right? All right, uh, you go to federal prison for, and I'm reading the tra- statutes – trafficking in 100 to 99 kilograms of marijuana, uh, or 100 to 999 marijuana plants. Sounds like a um, lot, yeah. Yeah, so you know, so it's not it's not the hey, uh, a couple of college kids got got busted uh, at, at a pot party. Um, the federal laws uh, are are necessarily geared towards big interstate uh, right. uh, transports um, I think it's so a great I, point I, right I, I have an issue with that right of saying um, uh, look we are we're going to decrease sentences or have new hearings on on those cases I think that's a problem yeah. and now that's um, not
1: a lot of people right? I mean I think most of the most of the marijuana related crimes or most of the people in jail in, in prison for marijuana related crimes. This is at the state level and this wouldn't
0: affect exactly. that yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which was that, that's kind of my point, right? Yeah. The only people at the federal level are kind of the gotcha. your, your, yeah. your bigger fish. Right. Um, uh, if States wanted to say, listen, we should, you know, look at expunging, and, and expunging, um, convictions. I'm actually a big fan of expunging convictions for nonviolent, uh, offenses. Um, uh, but again, when you're talking about drug trafficking and and you're talking in the hundreds of kilograms, well, that's that's yeah. something a little different um, than than the, you know, possession of I had a dime bag or something on me. Um, I don't know if that's the lingo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I <laughs>
1: can't help you with that. No, yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah, um, I, I think I think that's a reasonable point. But it seems to me there are some things here that should be somewhat uncontroversial like for instance the idea that marijuana is still federally classified as a schedule one drug which is reserved for drugs with no currently accepted medical value that just that just seems to me simply untrue and the idea that that hasn't changed is just seems kind of bizarre and wrong-headed to me
0: yeah so to me it looks so there's there's two pieces of this right there's the economic piece and there's the criminal piece yeah the economic piece, I'd say, I'm more or less on on board with, um, and I would I would put that that categorization into the economic piece because, as you say, it has to do with things like uh, you know what you can do research on and so forth. Um, it's it's less about you know actually getting the drug on the street. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, t- to me, I, I I sort of roll my eyes a little bit about this, uh, just because the left has it sort of sort of marijuana fetish um but uh you know, I'm <laughs> my my yeah. libertarian soul is also sort of like, yeah, whatever well you um, know, and it's not just a left thing
1: by only around. 8% of Americans now think that marijuana should be illegal in all circumstances, at least this is according to a 2019 poll from Pew Research Yeah, but Center.
0: no, most, most people wouldn't say if you asked them about, should this be illegal in all circumstances, most people are going to answer no.
1: That's that's true, but I mean, still, polling regularly, fine. Well, you don't have to look at polling, we just have to look at public policy, right? 37 states in D.C. have legalized yeah. it for at least medical use. 18 states in D.C. have legalized it for recreational use. I mean, it seems to me that a, a true and you're kind of saying this, I think, in a way that if you're actually pro-federalism, you want to remove some of these sort of federal fetters that are holding back a lot of state-level innovation in what's still a small industry. It's something like around, I think, legal pot sales in 2020, last I looked, were like under $18 billion. But, you know, compare that to, say, the alcoholic beverage industry, which is like around $250 billion. That's That's still a, a small industry, but one that, you know, with, certainly has
0: a lot of room for growth, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think so. And um you know, uh, again, I'm you know, I I'm, I'm a little bit uh torn on this and then I I'm looking at this from one on the, on the libertarian federalism type yeah. piece of it is I'm generally not in favor of criminalizing a whole lot of stuff uh even if I think it's really dumb. Yeah. Right? Even if I uh, criminalizing behavior, even if I think it's stupid and counterproductive behavior. Um Likewise, uh, I'm willing to let states uh, do their own thing uh, and and experiment. And uh, also, you know, as part of that would be suffer the consequences of those experiments. So, you know, my my general position is I, I don't I don't have a big. Of all the of all the stuff that Chuck Schumer regularly does, um, <laughs> right, uh, this ranks yeah. fairly, fairly medium to low yeah. in in my, the on the outrage index for me. So.
1: And you know, it seems to me this is an issue. but I, I think you're right. This is an issue that for some people is a huge deal.
0: But my sense, of, I'm- it's it's like no. I mean, this is for some. It's it's like abortion for some, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. I mean, because President Biden hasn't actually endorsed this. And and honestly, right now, even in Schumer knows this probably couldn't get 50 Democratic votes in the Senate right now. And really, while there are there's a small group of people that's passionately concerned about this issue, I just don't think it's a particularly high priority item for President Biden or for a lot of Senate Democrats, which is why I don't really see. uh, I mean, while I think it's something to say, my God, we're at a point where the Senate majority leader is introducing a decriminalization, that's something. Ten years ago, we probably never would have dreamed of happening, but it's just not a big enough issue to enough people to kind of boost this up the kind of priority chain. I think. Uh,
0: yeah, we, we we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee, um, <laughs> as the old song goes. Um, but uh, no, yeah, I think I think you know for your Joe Mansions, a uh, uh, Christian cinemas. This is this is a tough <clears throat> look. Why? I'm sticking my neck out and all this other stuff. Uh, You know, why do you want me to to do this for what is really pretty, pretty minimal gain? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's that it's it's a it's a niche art audience. Yeah. Uh, And uh, and the way this, you know, politics works is sometimes niche audiences. uh, It works great because you've got a small group of people who can be highly motivated for one issue uh, and that something a lot of other people don't really care about so they can get it done. Um the downside and the, the the flip side of that is uh if if you're a politician and you go out of your way to appease some niche audience, even if what you're doing isn't super comf- controversial, and this is kind of where I'd put that, right? Um nobody is is gonna say, My God, I'm I'm voting against Joe Manchin for sure because he uh he voted the legalized pot. Yeah. But it's one of those things that um if there's a whole bunch of other things stacked against Joe Manchin um, and you add on the oh, yeah, he also voted legalized pot uh, that that makes a difference. Right. And and are, are politicians like that willing to stick their neck out to get the, the pot smoking vote? Yeah. Who? Uh, let's be honest, Mike, uh, may or may not show up. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I, and also I think it's important that to keep in mind that this doesn't necessarily uh, – wouldn't necessarily immediately sort of change the lives of people who smoke pot or want to smoke pot because the state would still – under this law, yeah. the state would still have the ability to legalize or not. And if it's illegal in the state, then that kind of game over for that – I mean for people in that state. But if it's already legal, like in the many states it is, well, you can already – get marijuana if you if you want to in some states it's a little more of a you know kind of jump through more hoops like in ohio where you have to have a wink wink you know medical condition yeah. sort of thing but it's yeah so I, I didn't really see the the benefits outweighing the cost politically for for folks which is why i just don't think we're going to see any sort of action though i do kind of hope that at some point the the dea will remove this from we'll consider removing this from schedule one i know there's actually a lawsuit some some folks sued them about that they they Denied rescheduling it, but I think that at least is the sort of administrative kind of starting point that we might see in the next few years.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. I think so. And, and you're going to see more, more states um, uh, with some sort of legalization uh, yeah. uh, type type thing going on. As more money flows into it, um, and and look, I can I have a lot of things I could say about that, but right, um, uh, I I think it's just it's just a fact. So. Yeah.
1: All right, well, we have, we're going to, have to do one more story, but before we do that, we will take our final quick break. All right, so, you know, after, well, many years now of resistance from the Pentagon, this could be the moment when we see significant reform in how major crimes in the military are prosecuted. Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has, well, for a while now, been pushing for an end to what's called commander discretion in prosecuting sexual assault cases in the military. And under the current system, senior commanders decide which cases are referred for prosecution, which raises potential conflict of interest concerns. And And Gillibrand, Gillibrand, sorry, proposed legislation would remove this sort of prosecute or not decision from senior commanders and give it to independent military prosecutors and not just for sexual assault cases. And there's kind of broad agreement that that should be done in those cases, but also for all serious crimes. And and she actually has some unusual Senate allies on this, including Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Hawley, who I don't typically quote, um made what I thought was an excellent point. He said, as a lawyer and former prosecutor, I think there is some value in having continuity saying any felony crime is going to be handled the same way, no matter what it is. And, I guess I also probably should point out that concerns about military commanders making prosecutorial decisions and there being issues with that, that's not just a theoretical concern. There was a Pentagon panel that reviewed the evidence on prosecutions and actually recommended removal of commander discretion for sexual assault cases based on that evidence. And a recent report by the GAO found that black and Hispanic service members were more likely than whites to be referred over by commanders for court martial proceedings. what do you think, Jay? Does this seem like a good idea?
0: Yeah, I'm fine with it. <laughs>
1: okay. Because it, it, you know, <laughs> it strikes me as odd. No, I mean,
0: you're expecting more, more controversy. I um, don't know. Yeah, i do well, not sure. I, I, think that, I think that makes sense. I, I get there's also a uh, an argument always when you're dealing with the military that there are other factors that play into these decisions, right? And and it's, you know, morale, team morale. and uh what we're really asking these people to do, and uh, you can't handle the truth and and that kind of thing right um but but no i i think the the general principle that uh these things ought to be re- reviewed by someone who is a a neutral third party uh and that there's some uh, uh measure of 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 well as you said continuity i'm, I'm trying to get yeah. the word i uh uh looking for here but uh uh, regularity, yeah. right. Uh, in, in these proceedings, um, sure. yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's important. That's a big part of due process and, uh, due process applies to people in the military, uh, perhaps to a lesser extent, but, but it still does. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in, in your, your perspective as a, as a, uh, service member, um, on this.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, the fundamental idea is certainly as you've sort of articulated is that in a lot of ways the military is not like the civilian world and you still have rights but the different sort of rights and also there are certain things like in the military context that are crimes that just don't exist in non-military life like like dereliction of duty malingering uh, conduct becoming an officer those sort of things you know are, and and the, I think the idea is that you get all
0: kinds of trouble, yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so I think but the idea is right that military commanders are in sort the argument goes in a better position to make these sort of judgments that balance the mission of the military and the good of the service against these sort of individual. These individual rights, and so that—that's why they're—they've been put in this position where they get to make these prosecute or non-prosecute decisions. And you know, as someone who's been in the military, I, I appreciate that. I even agree with it. But I don't think there's any reason why that these determinations can't be made by you know military prosecutors. It's not like these are people who don't have any knowledge or understanding of the military. As long as there's input from sen- senior commanders, as opposed to you know just letting commanders make. The call on this themselves and again we're only talking about serious crimes here and and when we talk about senior commanders these are you know these are like generals and well these are generals basically people at that top level and so you know i don't see that there's really a problem with this and i find it odd that that a lot of folks are actually in the senate at least they're okay with doing this for sexual assault but they're not okay with just making it for all serious crimes, which I I don't, I don't get the logic of that. I'm with, I'm with you and I'm going to gulp here and Josh Holly on that one. So, so yeah,
0: Yeah. no, yeah. So I, I guess the, the idea with the, the sexual assault would be that in, in so many instances, the commanding officer is male, right? That if, if you're just looking at the numbers there, uh, and, and the, uh, the argument I think would be, well, that's where it's, it's, it's needed more, um, uh, because you're, you, you have this, this kind of all male perspective, uh, patriarchal sort of, mm. sort of, sort of view, um, uh, and, and whether that's accurate or not, but I, I think that's, that's maybe the genesis of this, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's how, that's how it got started was some high profile, uh, sexual assault cases. So.
1: All right. Well, uh, I think that actually brings us to our recommendations for this week before we close. Jay, do you have anything for
0: us? Oh, man. Um, Can I re-recommend something? You sure Um, can. So, you know, a book I I started reading a couple weeks ago and I was able just to finish it um, on vacation last week. Um, uh, The Pioneers uh, by David McCullough. Um, And it is it is particularly interesting to me because it's about and it should be to you too mike uh it, it's basically about the founding of ohio oh, okay. um uh most specifically the city of, of marietta um and it's it's absolutely fascinating the people who who risked their lives when when ohio was the the back country and this is really the first uh state that was was settled in the northwest territory uh there are are Big, you know, heroes you've never heard of, but 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 should know about. Uh, Manasseh Cutler, who was a minister, he was a member of Congress, and he was uh, the person who pushed for the the prohibition on slavery uh, in the Northwest Territory, uh, in what became the Northwest Ordinance, uh, and and that the Northwest Ordinance I think should get so much more attention than than it does uh and and McCall gives it give it a lot of attention but anyway then then Cutler's son uh becomes one of these people who who uh, immigrates to uh the Ohio country in Marietta and they they start a, um, a settlement there uh along with uh General Rufus Putnam a revolutionary war uh, veteran um and it's it, it's absolutely fascinating and you you again you put your problems into perspective uh you know there are all these these stories of, you know, people traveling from Pittsburgh to Marietta and, you know, how many of their children die, you know, during, during these, these oh. sorts of things. And, uh, again, just coming out of a pandemic, uh, they talk about, you know, we had a bad year for the fevers, you know, knocked out a third of our population. Um, uh, the, the fear of Indian attacks, uh, it's, it's, it's really, I, to, to me, it, it's, it's a lot about what, Sort of, you know, American spirit is is all about. So, I highly recommend it. Okay, um, my
1: recommendation, I think, this week will be a book called "Cancer Ward." Uh, not exactly a happy read by uh, by Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn. Uh, I I admire. Solzhenitsyn's work, just generally, and I picked this up. Just happened to find it at a used bookstore. It's a story about uh, a number of folks in, well, a, a Soviet-era cancer ward in in the nineteen fifties, actually. And as you can imagine, it is not a light, comedic sort of thing. But it is it is touching and, and beautiful, and 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 tragic in a lot of ways. But definitely, if you if you're up for that, if you can kind of handle it, uh, I think just generally, you can pick up pretty much almost anything randomly from Solzhenitsyn, and it is, is worth your time and effort and uh, i read this a while back and i was just it was just
0: really taken with it and I really highly recommend it It's good well that's interesting yeah. solzhenitsyn is not always is not always a favorite on the left uh, well, I, I'm i a big fan, that's all I can say. Uh, sure. but well, I'm I, glad to hear it. Anyway, uh,
1: well, well, that is it for this episode. But as soon as we're done, Jay and I will be recording our full-length midweek bonus episode for our Patreon supporters. We'll be talking about vaccine hostility, Breyer's not quite yet Supreme Court retirement, taking some listener questions as well. If you're a Patreon supporter, you will get that in your uh, podcast feed Wednesday morning. And if you're not, just go to patreon.com slash Guys. And if you would like to get that midweek show, but you can't afford to support the show right now, not a problem. Send me an email, Mikeypoliticsguys.com, and I will make that happen for you. If you're not already subscribing to the show, please do. And also leave ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share episodes on social media, that is really great. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, we're at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You will find links in our show notes. A special thanks to our executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Ryan Beasley. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.